So with that, let's turn to Matthew chapter 26. We begin a new series of messages this morning called The Verdict. And uh, I know this sounds rather sacrilegious, but the facts are facts, and we put Jesus on trial every day of our life. And it's true what Jesus, what Pilate was asked, we'll get to that passage here in a couple of weeks. When Pilate asked the Jewish leaders, excuse me, asked the Jewish leaders, what shall I do with this man called Jesus? That's the question, isn't it? What do we do with Jesus? And really, when you're talking about the salvation experience of coming to know Christ for the first time, it's kind of like that. On the one hand, I believe this about Jesus. On the other hand, I don't want to give this up. On the one hand, this, and the other hand, that, and we're putting Jesus on trial. Maybe some of you are here today going through that. I know I went through that for about four years of my life, saying no, 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 until I finally said yes, and the trial of Jesus was going on in my heart consistently. It happens with Christians as well. You get uh, disappointed with God. Things don't go the way you feel like they ought to go, And, and some serious things maybe are happening in your life. And you think to yourself, well, should I continue to follow Jesus? What's in it? You know, why, does it pay to really follow Jesus Christ? And so while we're looking at these trials, we see ourselves a lot in these pictures today. And as we're looking at this, we understand that Jesus is coming out of Matthew chapter 25, and it's the last time of his teaching. He would no longer teach the disciples until he was resurrected. But now we're looking back at what the flow of things is going to happen leading up to the cross. And at this time, this time, the whole book leading to this very moment. The whole life of Jesus, every miracle, every teaching leading to this moment where he would die on the cross for us. And so we look at some of the things that are looking or building up toward the cross. And we see the different times that Jesus was placed on trial. One group of people said, no, we don't want Jesus because Jesus is a threat to me. And then a lady says, no, I do want Jesus. In fact, he's all the world to me. On the other hand, we had a man that says, no, I don't want Jesus because he's a disappointment to me. And then we had a group of people that said, no, I I do want Jesus. Yes, I, I want Jesus because he's Lord to me. So let's look at it together. Matthew chapter 26, we first of all see a group of people saying, no, Jesus is a threat to me. When Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, You know that after two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. What did they know? Well, they knew the Passover was coming. I'm not sure they really knew, and this is not in the original Greek where they were saying, you know that the crucifixion's coming. They didn't know that. Jesus had talked about it three different times. They still didn't get it. They're still trying to wrap their arms around that whole event, but they knew the Passover was coming, this time of a Passover celebration. Now, as you're looking at this, understand that as it builds up to the Passover, it's a very significant thing in Jewish life. Back in the book of Exodus, the the Israelites were prisoners in Egypt. And Moses was sent in to talk to Pharaoh and said, God said to you, Jehovah says to you, let my people go. And he said, no. He sent a plague. And he still said no. He sent another plague and up until 10 plagues. And the Bible says that Pharaoh hardened his heart against God. Finally, the 10th plague came along. And he still would not let him go, let, let his people go at this point. And the 10th plague was the fact that the death angel was going to th- come through in one night and take the firstborn of every single family in Egypt. Now, you say, what about the Israelites? Well, 
Here's what Mo, God told Moses. He said, I want you to tell the Israelites, I want you to take the blood of an animal, I want you to put it on your doorpost, and when the death angel passes by, he'll pass over your house. And in passing over your house, your firstborn will be saved. After that, Pharaoh let his people go, let God's people go. They went out into the wilderness. They eventually ended up in the promised land. And so at this point, G Jewish people have been celebrating this every single year. And with it, it evolved where, with it, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread was also involved in the Passover because leaven was a symbol in the Bible of sin. And so when you had, you got all the leaven out of your house during this time, all the leaven was gone, all the sin, symbolically, all the sin in your life that you were putting away, and now that's why you took the bread and the cup. Now, Jesus was changing things here during the Passover. In fact, the last Passover, a real Passover, where you really had a need for a Passover, has ended because Jesus Christ put a new meaning to the bread and the cup. And during this story, he says, you know the Passover's coming, and I'm going to be crucified. Everything leading up to this point. Then he says this. Then, the, then it says this. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. And they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. Now, who's this Caiaphas guy? We've talked about the Pharisees in the book of Matthew. They were the legalists. They didn't like Jesus because he didn't obey their laws. And on the other hand, you had the Sadducees that were also high up. They were the kind of uh, the, the richer people, the more intellectual people. And they were saying, no, Jesus is beneath us a little bit. In fact, he believes in a resurrection. We don't believe in a resurrection. So we see these two groups. But now this high priest comes along. Why just now? Well, they're in Jerusalem. That's where the high priest is. He's heard all the stories. Lazarus has just been raised from the dead in, in a little town called Bethany, just a few miles away. He can't deny all this, and he says, we got to kill this guy. we got to get rid of this guy, no matter what it takes. In fact, in another gospel, it says that he said, it's good for one man die for the rest of the nation. Why would he say that? Well, the high priest was appointed by Rome. In fact, Caiaphas was from about AD 17 to AD 36, about 20 years, he was high priest. That was, that was a long time for Rome to stick with a high priest in Jerusalem. And it just goes to show that he was very political. He knew the ropes. Historian, Roman historian Josephus said that he was corrupt. In fact, the whole high priest thing, the whole, all the priests during this time, very, very corrupt. And so he knew that if Jesus came along, he, he said he was going to be a king, so a new king came along. Caesar would not like that at all and would come down on Jerusalem and destroy the city. That's how he, he looked at it. Now, Jesus was going to be a king. He was already a king, but not a king like Caesar was a king. And he would, he's already explained that in the scriptures. But now, the high priest Caiaphas is there, and he has all kinds of power in Jerusalem, all kinds of power in Rome, and he doesn't want to give that up. I mean, I, I don't want Jesus because he's a threat to me. He's a threat to my fame. He's a threat to my money. He's a threat to my possession. He's a threat to our city. He's a threat to my way of life. Caiaphas did not want to give up the sovereignty of God or, or the sovereignty in his own life. Now, why do we become, we get to a point in our life where we say, God, you know, I, I, I want you, but I don't want you like you want me to want you because I don't want to give up the sovereignty the rulership in my own life. 
We want to do what we want to do. We don't want to put Jesus on the throne of our life. We want to put ourselves on the throne of our life. And if you don't think that's real, it's real to me. For four years of my life after I found out about the gospel, that this was the reason that I did not give my life to Jesus Christ for four years. I did not want to give up the rulership of my own life. And so we find people here finding a reason because Jesus becomes a threat to our lifestyle. Maybe there's, you know, a sin we don't want to give up. People say that all the time. I've shared Christ with people. Well, now what do I have to give up in order to come to know Christ? What do I have to do? What's this life going to be like once I receive Christ? How different is it going to be as we're giving up that in our own life? But when we think about it, folks, I mean, you know, think about it for just a moment. We make very few decisions in our own life. We don't choose the country we're born in. We don't choose our parents. We don't, we don't uh, choose the time that we're going to be, the century that we're born in. We don't, uh, we don't choose the color of our hair, the color of our eyes, the color of, of our, uh, our skin. We don't choose uh, the build of our body, the look of our face. We don't choose any of that. Our brothers, our sisters, none of it. We choose some things in life, but the one thing that God wants us to choose in our life is for Jesus Christ to be the active Lord of our life. And that's the one thing we say, look, you know, I, I have wisdom, and I'm smarter than the next guy. In fact, I'm smarter than God. I must be because I, I think I can run my own life better than he can run it. But faith has, in fact, a great definition of faith is this. I'm better off trusting God than going my own way. The sovereignty of God in our life. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you're saying, look, I'd give my life to Jesus. In fact, I don't mind doing things for Jesus. I don't mind feeding the poor. I don't mind going to a homeless shelter. I don't mind going on a mission trip. I don't mind actually uh, giving money to a good cause. I don't mind all as long as I can just call the shots in my own life. But that's not what salvation's all about. Salvation is coming to the cross, humbly saying to ourselves, to, to God rather, God, I'm giving up the throne of my own life. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to obey the first commandment. Think about it. You have no other gods before me. I don't even want to be before you, God. I'm worshiping you and you alone. And there's a struggle that goes on. What's going to happen if I give God control of my life? Can I really trust him with that? Is Jesus, are you saying that Jesus maybe is a little bit of a threat to you? It was to them. But we move on because we see someone wrestling on the other side. There's a wrestling going on in her own life, and her name is Mary. Look in verse 6 of chapter 26. Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, probably a former leper because you couldn't be around lepers, so, so this is probably some, somebody Jesus has healed, though we don't have a record of that. A woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? What's the story here? Well, here is Mary. We don't understand that that's her name, but one of the other Gospels tells us that it's Mary. In John chapter 12, it tells the same story. But in John chapter 11, right before, we get the context in chapter 11. And that is, Jesus found out that his good friend, Lazarus, who lived with his sisters, Mary and Martha, Lazarus had died. Word came to Jesus. He said, let us go to Bethany, or Jerusalem, right outside of uh, Bethany, right outside of Jerusalem. He said, let us go. And everybody said, oh, we're going to mourn his death. We're going to go to his funeral. Four days later, 
They take their time getting there. They're interrupted all the way around, you know, with healings and teachings. And finally, Jesus gets there and rises him from the dead. He calls him forth from the grave, and he walks out with all the wrappings like a mummy coming out of the tomb. What a miracle. Nobody could deny it. Mary was moved. She was touched like maybe no other person there. And the Bible says to us that she got an alabaster vial of perfume. Now, in one of the Gospels, it says it's worth about 11 months' wages. And it's preached often that, oh, she put all of her savings, as was common in the time maybe, uh, of putting her savings into something. Some people in gold, some people in silver, some people in perfume. I want to share with you now, I, I have not found that instance to be anywhere in any writing where somebody would put their life savings in perfume. Okay? And so I read it to where Mary was thinking to herself, i got to do something great for Jesus. And she took her life savings And she went down to the marketplace and bought the most expensive perfume she could possibly buy in order to anoint Jesus. It was a purposeful act. It wasn't just a a spur of the moment thing. Well, you know, I've got got all this uh, perfume in the back. I'm not going to use it. It's 11 months wages. I mean, how can you liquidate that that fast? You you wouldn't do that. No, she deliberately went out and she said, I'm going to buy something great for Jesus. And the Holy Spirit... God put it in her heart. Oh, that's what I need right there, the perfume. I'll, I'll anoint Jesus with that expensive perfume. And so she was doing something great, something out of extravagant love. And we find the disciples came out, oh, by the way, wouldn't you say that too? In fact, if we were to take this in context, we understand that the last teaching that Jesus gave that we went over a couple of weeks ago in Matthew chapter 25 was to go out and feed the poor. He he took a whole passage talking about how we ought to take care of our own and how we ought to take care of the poor. So probably the disciples were looking at this and saying, well, Jesus is not going to like this, so let us get ahead of the game and show him how much we've learned. What a waste! And his reply was this. For this could have been, or they said, this could have been sold for a large sum and given what? To the poor. Just what you were saying, Jesus. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful, underline that, a beautiful thing to me. For you will always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. And pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Now, Jesus gives the purpose of it all. But can you imagine the disciples scratching their head? You know, Jesus, we just can't figure you out. You just said go feed the poor, and she pours a fortune over your head to anoint you, and you say that's good. I just we just can't figure it out. And Jesus gives the purpose. He says she's anointing me for my burial. Now it was Jewish custom that after you were dead, they went to your tomb and they anointed you with spices and oils and perfumes, and that was the ritual. You know and I know that after Jesus died, he was put in the tomb. And when the ladies came back to anoint him for his burial, what happened? What did they find? Nothing. An empty tomb. And so the only chance that Jesus was going to get a chance to to be anointed for his burial was right here. She didn't know that. Disciples didn't know that. But she obeyed God. Why? Because she found Jesus beautiful. She was willing to make 
that kind of sacrifice in her own life because she found Jesus beautiful. You tell me what you love, and I'll tell you who you are, as the saying goes. Our mission statement, building lives that matter by teaching people to love, know, trust, and follow Jesus. Listen, before you follow Jesus, you got to trust him. And before you trust him, you got to know that he loves you, and you got to know him. Now, the disciples knew him better than Mary. So Mary was involved in a revelation from God. Now, the first group, Caiaphas and his friends, could not see Jesus for who he was because of their pride. She had a revelation from God. She was drawn by his spirit. And John chapter 6, verse 44 tells us, drawn by the Father, drawn by the Holy Spirit to, to Jesus and revealed something of truth. Why? Because she was humble, because of her humility of it all. And here we find this mission statement. Two, building lives that matter. She loved him. She began to know him better. And she was willing to trust him and follow him. Well, we find one that says no. We find one that says yes. We find the third fellow, the third group. No, Jesus is a disappointment to me. And of all the things we could talk about this morning, this is the one that Christians struggle with the most. Jesus, you've disappointed me. Life has not gone the way I thought it should go. In verse 14, verse 13, it says, Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Hey, we've just fulfilled prophecy, right? One of the most popular passages in the Bible. Verse 14, then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they, they paid him 30 pieces of silver. Not a lot of money, but not bad. Wasn't bad. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. Now notice up in verse 6, if they didn't want to do all this during the feast, too many people around. Well, there's just too many people. Now, if we have all these people and re they rebel, they may come after us. So we've got to do it by stealth. We've got to do it in secret. And they, Judas gave him away. Look, I'll just go to a, in the middle of the night and point Jesus to you and you arrest him from there. The Romans can get him. And so we look at this and we understand they, as they were preparing this path, Passover in verse 17. Now on the first day of the unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where will we have and prepare you uh, to eat the Passover? And he said, go into the city. And a certain man, and say to him, the teacher says, my name, my name, my time rather is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus directed them, and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he reclined at the table with the twelve. And eating, he said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they looked at one another and said, is it I, Lord? Verse 22, is, is it me? Is it I? Verse 23, he answered, he who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. Told him nothing because everybody had taken the bread and dipped it in themselves. Everybody has. So they're still wondering what's going on. Verse 24, the son of man goes, the son of man goes as is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. It would have been better if he had never been born. Judas, was, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? And he says, You have said so. Judas was looking at all that money 
being poured over Jesus. He was the treasure. Found out later in another gospel, he was also a thief. We find out in another gospel that he was the one protesting the most about this waste. And he thinks Jesus is wasting money. He's talking about dying on a cross. I'm going to get out while I can. I can't get the 11. I can't get the fortune, but I'll take 30 pieces of silver. I'll take what I can. What was the difference between Judas and Mary? Judas found Jesus useful. And Mary found Jesus beautiful. See, it's the difference. Now, I know all of you would, all you ladies are going to love this illustration. Now, you're really identify with this golf illustration, but sorry. But uh, golf is a great illustration of this. Many uh, people play golf for useful reasons. They find golf useful. It's not they don't like the game. It's okay for them. It's fine. In fact, they look forward to playing until the day they're going to play. Then, oh, it's too hot outside or whatever. They don't want to play that day, and they kind of, you know, whatever, and they just go out in drudgery almost. But they play sometimes for business reasons. They play for fellowship reasons. Some of you, they're on the same small group, and one of the things you like to do together is go play golf. But you know, there's some guys that play by, even by themselves. I can't imagine that. I, I couldn't play by myself. I couldn't find where my ball went, you know? I hit it so far, I, no, that's not true. Lose it. It's not true at all. But they play by themselves. Why? The love of the game. They just love the game. They want to go out every week. They'd, they'd be playing golf. I, I have friends like that. They, they would play golf every day if they could. And some of them do play by themselves. Why? When they can't find anybody else, they want to go out and practice, you know? Practice. Why? Just the love of the game. Some people want Jesus because he's useful. Like the game of golf, it's useful. Jesus is useful to me, but not beautiful to me. Judas found Jesus very useful. He followed him around. Boy, he was one of the 12. He was pretty famous among the Jewish people now. He was going. He saw all the miracles, saw everything was happening. Man, bread and fish broken in half. There's no need to go hungry. Jesus is very useful. I'm going to sit maybe at the right hand of him on the throne of Rome. Very useful. Now all of a sudden, Jesus isn't useful anymore, so he gets rid of him. Mary, on the other hand, just simply served Jesus and sacrificed for Jesus because she just loved him, just because he was Jesus. She found him wonderful, found him beautiful. I um, maybe shared this story before, maybe at another venue, but uh, I remember back when I was uh, first called into the ministry, and I was a young guy, single guy, and I was, I was just really, just in, really enthusiastic, uh, everything about the Christian life. And that's just the way I lived, not just the way I preached, it's the way I lived, everything. And uh, one summer, all of a sudden, all those feelings went to the side. I hadn't been a, a following Christian very long, maybe a couple of years. And um, I just couldn't, you know, I tried to kind of work up the emotion, just wasn't there. I was worried, you know, God, when I stand up before the pulpit and preach, I, I can't just act through this, and so you're going to have to help me. I get up and preach, and all of a sudden, boy, I just come alive. And, and then when I get down, I, where did that emotion go? Where's the energy? I remember preaching a uh, series of meetings, and on Sunday morning, um, this lady came down, and she was weeping and crying. I want to get saved. I want Jesus to come into my heart. Her son comes down the aisle, teenage son, and he, he comes up and puts his hand, her, his hand on her shoulder and my, on mine. He says, I want to get saved too. I, I need Jesus in my heart. 
And I hadn't been down the pulpit five, ten seconds, it seemed like. And it was just all the emotion was gone. And all I could think of when it was over, God, I wish I had some of that. I wish I had some of that. During that time, God led me to a passage in John 21. And I know this is not the real interpretation, but I didn't know that then. Jesus asked Peter, who failed Jesus. He said, Peter, do you love me? He said, Lord, you, you ask me if you love me as a God. Well, I, I love you not just as, I don't love you as Lord, but I love you as a friend. He asked me again, Peter, do you love me as Lord? Well, God, you know I love you as a friend, Lord. I mean, Jesus, you know I love you as a friend. Ask him three times. Three, three denials of Jesus uh, by Peter. Three questions. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And God spoke to me, and he says, Dwayne, do you love me for who I am? Or do you love me because of what I can do in your life? Do you love me for the blessing? Do you love me for the emotion? Do you love me for the peace? Do you love me for the hope? Do you love me because it pays to serve Jesus? Or you just love me because you love me? I mean, it's been going on for a couple of years. Now it's time for the test. Who do you really love? Do you love yourself and you want me to help you and be useful to you to get where you want to go and be what you want to be? Or are you on my mission? Do you love me? It's a question, isn't it? Judas found him very, Jesus very useful. And once he did not find him useful anymore, he did away with him. Like the man that says, hey, or the, the and this has happened more than one time. Look, I, I've had, you know, I've had it with God. I asked him for one thing that was the most important thing in my life. He didn't come through, so I'm, he's dead to me. He didn't find Jesus useful anymore. And Judas was disappointed with God. He was disappointed the way you and I get disappointed. Now, you have some real problems in your life. You've got problems with your kids or your grandkids or, or your mom or your dad. And you've got real problems at school. And you've lost a boyfriend or a girlfriend and your heart's been broken. These are real problems. I'm not saying that they're not real problems. But the trusting, following person says, I'm still better off trusting God than going my own way. God, I can still trust you with these things. And God, I want you to know I love you, and I'll continue to serve you because you're God, not because you're just useful to me. So we go back and forth. No. Yes, no. But then a final yes. We find it beginning in verse 26 with the disciples. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he gave the cup, and when he had given thanks to him, he, uh, he said, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Wow, man, what a promise here. We find the Lord's Supper we find it symbolic, just like baptism is a picture of your salvation. The death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This, what we're about to do in just a few moments, is a picture of our communion with God. It's a picture of the fact that my life's right with God. That, I've, I've, that There's nothing in my life that, that is keeping me from fellowship with God. And I'm testifying about that. In fact, I'm taking the bread representing the body of Jesus Christ. I'm taking the cup, which re represents the blood of Jesus Christ. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. 
And so as we partake of this here in just a few moments, we see we do this for three reasons. One, to remember him. And that makes us more grateful. That makes us more thinking Jesus is more and more beautiful and more wonderful because we remember what he did for us. And then secondly, we do it for reflection, repentance. God, there is sin in my life. There is an attitude that I need to deal with. There's a sin that I need to to grapple with. There's a principle here in my life that I'm not following. There's an example in the Bible that I'm not doing. So we make ourselves right with God. Then thirdly, he says, I'm not not even going to eat with you again until you see me on the other side. One day we're all going to meet with Jesus. It's a time of rejoicing, a time of looking forward to all the stuff that we have to put up in this life. We're nevertheless one day going to be with Jesus to partake in a real, real feast. So we look. We look at this. And we understand the disciples were saying, look, I know you, Jesus, and I'm following you. Notice what it says here in verse 22, just looking back. They called him Lord. Lord, you're my Lord. Judas, in verse 25, said, is it I, rabbi, teacher? The difference in the attitude. When Peter, even though he failed Jesus miserably, In verse 33, Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. His verdict in his heart was, Jesus, you're all to me. I'm all in because you're Lord to me. Well, we go back and forth. We struggle. We struggle. And it's just natural as a human. No, yes, yes, no, yes, 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 no. Can I follow him? Can I trust him? And sometimes we just have to make one all-in decision to say, God, I'm going to mess up. I'm going to fail you in a lot of ways, but I'm all-in because I know who you are and I find you wonderful, not just useful. Well, in any trial, there's an opening statement. I made that. Then I brought the witnesses before you, and now I've made my closing argument. So the jury goes out, and the judge gives the jury instructions. You're going to have to decide what will you do with Jesus. The jury goes out. jury comes back in and says, we're just hung. We've got a hung jury. One person says yes, another person says no. One yes, one no. And we're just conflicted and for different reasons. And the judge looks at us and says, looks at you, and says, then what you must do is decide individually for yourself What will you do with Jesus? So what's your answer today? What will you do? Jesus, on trial in our life, it just is. Is it yes? Is it no? What will you do with the Lord? Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.